working with a coach, it has to be reciprocal. The coach can't put in more energy than the student. So if you're going to hire a coach, expect to show up, expect to do the work, commit to it, be mindful of your time and your coaches. If that's not working, if that's not doable, then stick to classes or small group training. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Erica Darst, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. You have every strong first SFG certification under your belt. Um. (laughs) Well, well, actually, I'm not that I haven't completed the SFB yet because I was five months pregnant when I attended the certification. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So you've attended them all. Yes, I have attended them all. And then subsequently, I mean, I wasn't able to actually test out for the SFB. So that one is kind of on hold for right now. I have an extension on that certification for obvious reasons. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, even just doing like SFG1, SFG2, being a certified instructor, the Strong First Barbell, I really feel like those are like (laughs) the ones where you have to move heavy weight. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you took a leap from being a corporate desk jockey to a strength coach and even built your own training studio, EDK Training, that focuses on training smarter and not harder, which is, we'll talk about that because our philosophy is aligned so much in that way. And you really focus on progressions and not just killing yourself at the gym, which I feel like in this day and age is sometimes a hard sell. Like sometimes it's hard to convince our clients that laying in a pool of sweat, you know, <laughs> totally destroyed every day is not the goal. Exactly. And right now you are how far along? 33 weeks pregnant? 34 today. <laughs> Home stretch. It's amazing. Everyone should go check out your Instagram. Remind me what your Instagram handle is. It's just at Erica Darst, E-R-I-C-K-A-D-A-R-S-T. And it's so awesome to watch you train. And granted, every day when you're pregnant is like something new sometimes pops up. But when you post photos of yourself, if you looked at you from the front or like from behind, you would not even tell, I don't (laughs) think that you're pregnant. You're like all belly, like the pregnant woman's dream. So welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. This philosophy of training smarter and not necessarily harder, that is also my philosophy and what we do in the clinic. But like, just talk to me about that. Like, why, why align with that philosophy when it kind of goes against so many gyms and systems and boutique fitness classes out there? What's your thoughts about that? Well, I think it kind of depends on, you know, defining what smarter and harder really means to people. Mm. For me, training smarter just means training with intention, you know, knowing what you're doing and why and how to do it effectively, being mindful of your movement. If you're always trying to perform challenging exercises, using too much weight, working too hard without being properly conditioned, 
it's really going to limit your positive results and, you know, lead to possible injury. Mm. So for me, for my own training and how I coach, I, I truly follow a simple, not easy approach. So simple in terms of, you know, basic program design, keeping the skills involved minimal to maximize results, but not necessarily easy in terms of the level of difficulty in performing those skills. For example, if you want to improve your squat, but you have joint mobility issues, is it wise to focus on doing high-intensity squats with weight and ignore those underlying issues? No. You know, addressing the problem and then progressing the skill, eventually increasing volume and intensity, that's pretty much how we do things at my studio and how I train as well. Yeah. So sometimes what I come up against, and you can tell me if this happens to you as well, is you know, focusing on the form first, right? Part mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. intention and training smarter. But sometimes there's a certain kind of personality type in a client where yeah. they don't necessarily want to increase the weight or like sometimes it's hard to progress people. Like they get really comfortable in what they're doing. And I know for you, one of your focuses is on progressing someone with intentionality. Right. It just sort of depends where, where they're at in the whole process of things. There's a high level of frustration involved when things are moving too slow. So, you know, it takes, I think, a good coach to recognize like, okay, what is working? What isn't working? How do we keep this person feeling like they're progressing, but we're still being very mindful of where they're at in their current position in terms of their abilities. And there is a there is a really challenging balance there because there is such a learning curve, particularly to strength training, whether it's kettlebell or barbell. You have to know what you're doing in order to feel the results, see the results, and and truly benefit from it. And when there's the mentality of, you know, going back to always training hard and not dedicating time and attention to the performance and only focusing on the calorie burn, how sweaty, how sore, how fatigued you are when you finished, how your legs are like jello for the next three days or whatever it may be, too much variety, too often at a really high intensity will only get you so far. And after a while, your body will start to break down and burn out. Smart training involves a combination of slowly increasing the demands we put on our bodies to build strength and endurance, but allowing ample rest to recover. So it's kind of like finding that happy medium, like, okay, we're going to get you to a point where you feel really good about this skill. And then we're going to go to something else. We're going to practice something new. So when I'm working with somebody and they're learning new skills, for example, we focus on the ones that they feel really confident about, they're crushing it, and then we jump onto something else. When that kind of starts to get like frustrating, it's like, okay, let's go back to what we know. Mm-hmm. So we go back to what we know, we start conditioning that a little bit more, we practice that. So it's finding a balance for people where they're not getting like overworked on one thing and getting frustrated and then like ready to kind of throw in the towel, I guess. Yeah, totally. And then Yeah. Going back to what always makes people feel empowered and confident and like, okay, well, my squat game today is not so great, but my swing game is spot on. So 
let's hit that again. Yeah. And then we'll revisit the squats or, you know, whatever it may be. I love kettlebells and obviously you being strong first probably have like the same level, <laughs> level of love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Simplicity and the transportation of a kettlebell and even just like teaching form, it gives a little more wiggle room. I have not taken the SFG barbell course, but I'm curious, like when do you start to introduce someone to barbell training versus kind of just doing kettlebell training? Well, from my own personal experience, I've been training with bells for about 12 years and I didn't get into barbell training until about, I think it was like four years ago now. And it was my decision to go for the SFL. And that being said, for any one of the certifications I've taken, I have always hired a coach because I, I needed the accountability. I needed that program design. I wanted to learn the technique, the setup, everything involved in that. So definitely doing bells for, you know, as long as I had been doing them before really getting into barbell training was very beneficial. There's, there's a lot of, you know, complementary things involved there. And especially just in terms of already having a developed strength, but they're vastly different um, modalities for sure. When I hired my coach, he was actually, his name is Jordan Moorhead. He is a fellow Strong First instructor. And when I started working with him, it was a total game changer. I, I distinctly remember at that point, I had been marathon running, training for marathons, things like that. My kettlebell training had always complemented my running game. And then I basically did yoga. And I'll never forget, he was basically like, okay, if you want to do this and you want to get certified, no running, like none. If I wanted to increase my strength, get serious about my certification, and I had to follow the program, rest and save my energy to build strength required for the testing standards. And I mean, they're no joke. Yeah. So, you know, at the time I definitely had the mentality, like, you know, a lot of people, I wanted to run, I wanted to do all the things. I wanted variety. I wanted the high intensity, blah, blah, you know, all of those things. But I did what I was told. And I will never forget the importance of keeping my focus on that set program. The difference between the two, but also the carryover is really important. Initially, when I started doing barbell, I felt so weak, even though I had been using bells for many years. But as time went on, I became so much stronger using barbells and then my kettlebell training benefited from it. Mm-hmm. And both barbell, kettlebell, I mean, there's a high learning curve. If you want to do it right, you don't want to hurt yourself. And it's not anything to mess around with. You know, when I see kettlebells and barbells used in like hit classes and stuff, I, I cringe because it really is a process and you have to trust it. And once you start doing it and you get it down, wow. I mean, it's amazing. The things that your body is capable of doing when you just like focus on the program. Yeah. I mean, I think that's with like, I don't know who the original quote is, but just the one thing that like prevents us from getting us to our goal is like our own distractions. So like, let's say you did, didn't cut out the running, right? Could you have met your goal of the certification, you know? 
Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, but I, I mean, I, I wasn't willing to take the risk and I trusted my coach at the time. I've always trusted my coaches. I just, I do what I'm told and it gets me where I need to be. I mean, that's the benefit of, you know, hiring a private coach is that they do the program for you. You follow it and you stay dedicated to it and you will get to where you want to be. Yeah. Do you think people who are new to strength training, like should have a coach versus just doing group classes? You know, not necessarily. I think it really just depends on what you're looking for. If you have a very specific goal, like me talking about wanting to achieve my SFL, you know, that requires individualized programming. And, you know, I wanted somebody to, to come up with that programming for me and it held me accountable. It guided me to my desired result. And, you know, if that's what people want, then I strongly suggest getting a coach, um, make the investment, make it a priority, but working with a coach, it has to be reciprocal. The coach can't put in more energy than the student. So if you're going to hire a coach, expect to show up, expect to do the work, commit to it, be mindful of your time and your coaches. If that's not working, if that's not doable, then stick to classes or small group training where you, know, you can decide that day, like, yeah, I want to show up for this class or whatever it may be. Sometimes that's just an easier option. And for me and what, what we do at EDK, it's small group training. So it's a semi-individualized approach to training, but it's not this huge group fitness class where students are kind of lost in a crowd. If you're just looking for a good workout and smart training methods, but you want the freedom of popping into a class and doing your workout with some buddies, classes are great. And for a lot of students at EDK, there's a good combination of both. There's some students who come strictly to the small group training classes and they're, they're good with that. They learn at their own pace. They make it to classes when they can. And then there's some who come and they want to take it to the next level, but they realize that there's some things that are limiting their abilities in the class. So then we set up a few private training sessions and we work on specific skills. Maybe we work on some compensation issues, some limitations that are preventing them from progressing in a particular skill that we're working on in class. So really it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds for some people. You know, that's my best advice is if you're, if you're really working on a serious goal and you need that accountability and commitment to it, get a coach. If you're just in it for the workouts and you need the flexibility of the schedule and you just kind of want to like go have fun and meet people, go to a class. Do you feel like the kettlebell as a tool is like an all-encompassing type of exercise and training session? Like I've seen some people, and I've said this too, and I don't actually know if this is accurate. Like I don't need to do cardio, kettlebell swings are my cardio or do a separate ab workout. Do you feel like that is true or do you feel like there needs to be like accessory exercise added to a kettlebell program? And obviously it depends on the program and it depends on the Mm -hmm. person's goals, but just kind of like in general. Yeah, I do. And I'm sure that sounds a little biased because it's what I do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But there's a reason why I really grabbed onto kettlebell training and, and I've stuck with it for so many years. 
if you take the time to learn the technique and the foundation skills and involved and do so without focusing so much on how quickly you can hammer through it, get in a sweat, the benefits will really be clear. And the mentality to push hard and fast doesn't allow for the approach to learning and practice required to really appreciate this training modality. You know, I kind of mentioned earlier, the learning curve can be a little bit boring and somewhat frustrating initially, but those who keep practicing appreciate the smarter, not harder approach. And they realize that, like you had mentioned, it depends if, you know, you're working a specific program or something like that. Like, for example, when I am marathon training, I will oftentimes be working a marathon training program, but I'll swap out some of my short run days for kettlebell training, like swings and snatches. And that's my cardio. I'm hitting two things at once. I'm getting in my strength training, but I'm also really upping that cardiovascular aspect too. If you learn and practice the swing, you will definitely feel it in your abs, your glutes, your quads, everything. If you're checked out, your tension is minimal, your power production is lazy, then you're missing out. It can certainly be a lot to think about when dialing in technique, but that's how training should be. You want to be thinking about how you're moving and what kind of demands you're putting on your body, not just about chasing the clock, getting it over with. And then after you do all of these swings and all of this work, hit the floor and do like 200 crunches. Because if you're actually doing whatever it may be, kettlebell wise, swings, deadlifts, squats, if you're actually doing that properly, in my opinion, you don't necessarily need the accessory work. Do we do that in classes? Yes, we do that. I call it kind of like filler just for variety. In a class environment, you kind of want to give people an opportunity to experience other things with kettlebells than just kind of the foundation skills. So I think if you're really you know, focusing on very specific skills, and I mean, if you learn and practice how to do a Turkish getup, for example, you'll know what I mean. And saying like, it's all encompassing. Like there's not, you know, you're working everything when you're doing a skill like that. Have you found that changing up the shorter run days in your marathon training and replacing it with kettlebell work, maybe you had less potential for injury, right? Because when you're marathon training, there's so, there's so many miles you have to log. Yeah. Did you find Absolutely. that to be Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I could always tell when I was kind of focused too much on my mileage mm. and I was falling behind on my kettlebell and strength work. Mm. That was me last year. So I kind of go on this like every other year thing. And <laughs> this year, <laughs> so like two years ago, I didn't run a marathon because I decided to do strictly barbell and train for my SFL certification. Mm-hmm. And then last year I switched gears and got into marathon training again. I always know just because I'm in tune with my body, I always know when I'm too heavily focused on my mileage and just getting in my runs and I'm not budgeting enough time to stay on top of my strength training. And I can always tell a difference. I start feeling it in my knees and posture wise, I can tell, I can feel it in my glutes. So 
that's why I decided this is how I'm going to train. I'm going to swap out these kind of low mileage days, like those little three, four or five mile days kind of in the middle of the week and just focus on high endurance swings instead or snatches, whatever it may be. Yeah. How has your kettlebell training changed since being pregnant? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, because I think it's really important having had two children myself yeah. and treating lots of postpartum women to be able to get into a squat position. Like if, mm-hmm. if natural birth is one of someone's goals, a woman's goal, or a desire to not have a medicated birth, if possible, to be able to squat and to be able to have integrity in their pelvic floor so that they don't have prolapse because there's a lot of pushing that happens in birth. And I have found, interestingly enough, that a lot of the women who I've treated postpartum that do a lot of Pilates or a lot of like drawing up of the pelvic floor or not you know, breathing, embracing, like if they don't know how to do that, have a Mm -hmm. hard time actually relaxing their pelvic floor to let the baby out can end up on the road for a C-section because labor takes so long. So A, I love that you have trained through your pregnancy and I'm curious how it has changed even like trimester to trimester. Well, I would say... During my first trimester, I was still doing barbell. And even looking back on it now, I'm actually pretty impressed that I was still doing what I was doing. I mean, now, I mean, it's, it's funny how quickly things change. And looking back, I, I'm just inspired. I'm looking forward and I'm inspired by what I was able to do just a few months ago. So that's, that's very motivating for me. But the fatigue was one of my biggest challenges which obviously is a big challenge for, for a lot of pregnant women, whether mm-hmm. they're, you know, whether they're training like I was or not, you know, I really had to cut back on that throughout this entire pregnancy though, the modality that I've felt most comfortable with, which makes sense because I've been doing it for as long as I have is kettlebells. And I've still been able to maintain in terms of my certification standard weight when I'm doing my training, but how often I'm training and for how long I train has changed significantly. Prior to pregnancy, I used to be able to train, you know, upwards of five, six times a week, but I always kept my training very short. And if people see what I do, like on Instagram, they watch my videos and stuff. I keep it to, you know, complexes. I'll be uploading one today actually, but I focus on maybe like three to five different skills. And then I keep my reps pretty low. The max that I'm at right now is usually about five. Last week I did a video where it was cleans, presses and squats. And it was just three reps, but I I did that cycle five times five or six. I can't remember now. I feel good. I'm not trying to like overwork myself. I'm really focusing by keeping it pretty simple in terms of, you know, I'm only doing those three skills. I'm able to just really focus on my technique and be even more mindful 
of how I'm doing it because I have to be, you know, I'm carrying this load in the front now that previously I didn't, I didn't have to think about. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and it definitely, I said this before, as I was coming into my second trimester and starting to pop and definitely starting to feel that front load and the pressure and all of these different things, it weighs you down. And through all of this, like you have to be mindful of core engagement and keeping the abs nice and tight and tension in the glutes and all of those things. But when you're pregnant and you're doing these skills, it reinforces that times 10. Because if you're not mindful of those things, then of course you're going to put yourself in, you know, in a sticky spot, you know, you're going to get injured or whatever. So being able to keep that core engagement and really focus on small increments of skills has been so helpful to me. And so far, my third trimester has been my best. As you progress, you become more and more uncomfortable just because things are changing every single day, like you mentioned earlier. But in terms of like my energy level and my focus on what I'm doing to feel strong and confident in what I'm doing, this has been my best trimester for it, for sure. Yeah. I think of, um, there's another strong first friend, uh, Melissa Paris, who trained through her pregnancy And I feel like in her third trimester, she was like training heavier than when she wasn't pregnant. I don't know if she just had like more weight to like move the bells around. (laughs) Yeah, there's a different, you know, there's different leverage and all of that going on. I know in my third trimester, I was like, even in the second, I was like, oh, I can only do single arm swings or a single bell swing like is not like two handed is not in the repertoire because I kept on feeling like I was knocking my belly as the bell was going between my legs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that you talk about low reps because I think oftentimes there is a idea of like 10 reps, three sets of 10, that more is better, but really listening to your body, first of all, and then secondly, you know, moving heavier weight to stabilize everything, but doing less reps is such a powerful tool. Absolutely. I mean, it really just boils down to what you're used to and knowing your body well enough to understand how it will perform. And also what you're working towards. I mean, if, if you are working like a set program or or something like that, then maybe that will call for a high intensity day where you're, you know, you're working, you're working a lot of repetitions and then you keep your, you keep your sets relatively low. Mm -hmm. But for me right now, I just like to keep things as simple as possible because, you know, my focus is different right now. I'm not working a program. I'm just trying to stay in the best physical condition I can so that I can have a healthy labor and hopefully <laughs> hopefully a smooth delivery. I mean, there's no guarantee in that, but I'm just doing what I can for right now to keep my confidence up as I go further along here, but also just keep my strength going. And, you know, I don't need to push it right now. There's, I have absolutely no reason to do that. 
So if I keep my reps low and I just focus on my technique, I'm going to be that much better off postpartum with that mentality that I don't need to keep pushing myself all the time. Like I, you know, this is where I'm at right now. I'm going to keep going on this slow progression. And before I know it, I'll start building back up. Prior to that, you know, I did a lot more long cycle type stuff. You know, we do the five minute snatch test and, and things like that. I would do that very regularly, very regularly. And now I can't even imagine doing it. I couldn't imagine doing it, but you know, like I don't need to, I don't need to worry about that right now. That's a pretty good feeling. I just do what I'm capable of right now and, and stick with it. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful message. I mean, especially while pregnant, because I think it will be especially afterwards when you're recovering is I think as women that have businesses that have multiple platforms like yourself, like you do in person and online and video coaching remote, it's like such a shift just to like kind of nest and hang out with the baby and you know, maybe some days, like all you do is breastfeed (laughs) and to like really have to like have a forced slowdown, which I think is like culturally not really supported necessarily. Like people are like, oh yeah, like back to it. And, you know, after however many weeks and, um, do you know if you're having a boy or girl? I do. Yeah. I'm having a boy. Oh, fun. And then is there anything that you're looking forward to or just like any thoughts with once you do have the baby? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to just the experience in general, but I'll be honest, like it's scary too. You know, I've kind of officially reached <laughs> reached this point where I'm exactly six weeks away. Mm-hmm. And it's gone like my pregnancy. I mean, just speaking for myself, has gone incredibly fast. And I am now just like, oh my gosh, this is this is okay. We're six weeks away here, and kind of piggybacking on what you were what you were saying about owning a business and kind of juggling all of these different things, and you know, just trying to keep business going has been. A really, you know, it's it's kind of a terrifying thing when EDK training was, you know, my first baby, so to speak. And now, you know, obviously my pri- my priorities, they already have dramatically shifted. It's forced me as a business owner to look at the bigger picture, to hire assistants, to delegate, to allow myself more time to rest and take care of myself and be okay with giving other people opportunity. And it's been really, really exciting to see that change, but it's also been really difficult to pull away from it. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to embracing my time with my son and allowing the people that I have, you know, invested in and who I, who I completely trust to see where they can take EDK training when I'm not able to be in the studio for however long that may be. And that's an unknown too, you know, given what I do for a living, 
I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how quickly I'll be able to recover. I don't know how quickly I'll be able to be coaching classes. But that's the other nice thing too, is I'm already, I mean, I'm still coaching. I'm still instructing classes, but I'll have students come up and be my demonstrator. There's always an option there. So it's been kind of nice in that way too. So I'm excited to see where I go professionally after this, after I have a baby and kind of evolve into another area, particularly prenatal and postnatal training for women and getting into that a little bit more for me personally, but also bringing on other instructors and helping to grow the community of certified kettlebell instructors, barbell, whatever it may be, and watching EDK grow in that regard too. So as scary as it is right now, thinking ahead, <laughs> I, I mean, I really can't, I really can't, but I'm, I'm positive, you know, like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where things go probably by like 2020. Yeah. You know, year. Yeah, totally. It's definitely one of those, it's like one of the few experiences in life that is unknown. Like if you travel, you grow a business, you, you know, getting married, those are like, you know, you've, you've done those <laughs> things, right? But like t- one of the fears, which maybe can never really get completely resolved until you go through the process is like, I don't know what it feels like. I can read about it. I can watch it on TV, but I don't know what it's going to feel like in my own body until mm-hmm. it happens, you know? But mm-hmm. It's such a like transformational experience. Like my midwife always talks about how to like, you know, to birth a baby is to like really transform into from a woman to being a mother. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you have to go through that process to be birthed into that. So, so I'm excited. I'm wait. excited to see what that's like. Like I said, like my priorities have already really shifted. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how they continue to shift in, in a positive way. And I'm, I'm excited to someday be able to show my son, like, this is what I was doing while you were in there. You know what I mean? Like, this is, I want him to be able to look up to me in that regard and be a, you know, a really positive role model in that way. And an example of just like, yep. I didn't just sit back and be like, okay, I'm pregnant, you know, like, I'm just going to let this go or whatever, like just sticking with what I know. And then I envision being in the studio and bringing him with me. (laughs) And, you know, that's kind of nice too. I can do that. Like I can go and, you know, do my thing or whatever and have him there with me if I need to. And so, you know, those are things that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. You're going to be like, honey, look what mommy did while she was pregnant. Now go put your toys away (laughs) (laughs) and eat your dinner. (laughs) Yes. Don't, don't mess, don't mess around here. (laughs) Where can people find you? Well, I am based in Minneapolis. Uptown specifically is where the EDK studio is. Otherwise you can find me online at edktraining.com. And on Facebook, same thing, EDK Training. Myself personally, I mentioned earlier, Erica Darst on Instagram. And then also EDK Training MN on Instagram. Yeah, I'm available for 
online coaching, remote coaching, in-studio coaching, obviously for a limited time here. Um, yeah. <laughs> coming, into the, coming into the final stretch, but um, that's kind of the beauty about of online coaching too, is that I don't need to physically be there with people as they're training. So that's always a really great option for people. Cool. Thank you so much. It was so fun sitting down. I can't wait to hear your birth story and see the photos of your baby boo once he comes out. Yeah, I can't wait either. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard, you know, you try, you try and envision it and you're just like, hey, this is impossible. No idea. <laughs> you got this. You got this, girl. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you reaching out to me. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. Bye.